Our scripture reading today is found in Genesis chapter 18, verse 16 through 33. This is a long passage, so please do follow along and let this story minister to your hearts. Then the men set out from there, and they looked down toward Sodom. And Abraham went with them to set them on their way. The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him? For I have chosen him, that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. Verse 22. So the men turned from there and went to Sodom. But Abraham still stood before the Lord, then Abraham drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the 50 who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked so that the righteous fare as the wicked, far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And the Lord said, If I find at Sodom fifty righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Abraham answered and said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord, I who am but dust, and ashes. Suppose five of the fifty righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find forty-five there. Again, he spoke to him and said, Suppose forty are found there. He answered, For the sake of forty, I will not do it. Then he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. Suppose Thirty are found there. He answered, I will not do it if I find thirty there. He said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. Suppose twenty are found there. He said, For the sake of twenty, I will not destroy it. Then he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak again. But this once, suppose ten are found there. He answered, For the sake of ten, I will not destroy it. And the Lord went his way when he had finished speaking to Abraham. And Abraham returned to his place. May the Lord bless us in the reading of his word. I think I need a bigger podium here, but all is good. Good morning, everyone. Please look around and say hello to each other one more time. Hello to you who are streaming with us 
again, if you could say hello to one another. I don't know if you're able to at, at that point there, but we welcome you here as we worship our God once again. Our sermon today is titled, The Gospel According to Abraham, God Interacts with His People. And again, we continue to see how Abraham and God's relationship continues to develop or continues to grow. And in this interaction, there are lessons for us as God's people of how does God want to interact with you and with me. Now, things are very different today because of COVID-19. Things are very different today because of the society that we live in and how the society has taught us to react to COVID-19 and the circumstances we are today. For many people, they are enjoying this time, not because of COVID-19, but they're enjoying this time because they are self-proclaimed introverts. And they are enjoying being in their room on their own, being left with their own thoughts. Some of you are enjoying this time because there are difficult people in your life. And for the first time, you have a good excuse not to interact with difficult people in your life. In fact, many of us look at this time as a time to look inward into ourselves and to see and to answer the question or at least pursue the question, who am I? Who am I? And you start to think about what I enjoy, what I don't enjoy. You start thinking about the family that God has given you. You start thinking about your future and perhaps what shape future you want. You start thinking about relationships that you have and you start becoming that accountant and see who belongs on this side of the ledger and who belongs on this side of the ledger. And we look into ourselves and we say that this is the time where I need to care for who I am. And it's not just because it's something that we do ourselves. It's, it's because the world teaches us and the world tells us that this is an appropriate time. and This is an appropriate thing for all of us to do. And as Christians, as people of God, we often fall into this trap, thinking that time, time, Time for ourselves and time to reflect is the same thing as spending time with God and spending time with his word. They are two separate things. God wants you to spend time with him, not with your own thoughts. God wants you to interact with him and not with your own journal trying to piecemeal and put together a puzzle that is before you. God wants you to talk with him and interact with him more than he wants you to interact with your own soul and your own heart, your own, as we say, self-speak, 
for one will drive you more inward. One will actually drive you so much inward that your ability to really, really understand your heart and understand other people actually start to deteriorate. Being trapped in yourself is not a healthy thing, even according to the world. But being trapped in yourself is no way for a Christian to live. During this time of COVID-19, the church as a whole, not just our church, but the church as a whole has gravitated more towards that. And it's affected your ability to make good decisions about your faith. It's affected your ability to enjoy God's word and to enjoy God himself and to enjoy fellowship. We need to, as God's people, to recognize what's happening and say, God wants more for us than that. And in fact, we see clearly that where this path is taking us is one of self-centered destruction. Lord, bring me back to you. This passage gives us a glimpse of this, and it's, it's a beautiful passage. We've seen previously when, when God appears to Abraham, he appears as this menacing fire. He appears as one that is holy, appears as one that is, is, is grand, that to, to one that you simply bow down to and obey, to the one who tells you commands and you simply listen. And although God is loving in these things, it's, it's only one glimpse or one part of God's character. But we here we see the Lord interacting with Abraham. That the Lord desires more than simply to be that other transcendent God barking orders, but this God created us in order for us to have fellowship with him, but also in order for us to have true and real dialogue about life. This is a God who wants to be present in your life, who wants to be present in the most difficult decisions that there are in your life. This is a God who will reveal to you the circumstances that are most egregious to your heart, the circumstances that are most difficult to your heart. But instead of God sitting on a throne saying, just deal with it, don't worry about it, let's move on. God doesn't do that. God doesn't simply say, listen, I know what I'm doing. You don't know what you're doing. Just do what I tell you and things will be okay. Does it sound like your parents? <laughs> Does it sound like advice that you would give to, to someone else? This isn't the God that we have. God wants to interact with you intimately, just as he does here with Abraham. 
You see, our duty before the Lord when we are going through troubles and tribulations and, and trials, we are not to be that, that petulant teenager. I mean, it's kind of redundant to say that, right? But that teenager who, who goes into their room, locks the door, and doesn't talk to mom and dad and says, I'm going to deal with it my own way. Just wait until I have figured it out, then I'll come out. But God wants to interact with you. God wants you to, to come out of yourself and with all your thoughts, with all your trials, with all your difficulties, he wants you to bring it before him and talk with him about it. You see, when you are writing a journal, or even if you're thinking or t thinking or uh, thinking internally, but better yet, talking to yourself externally, you know, walking around the park and people think you're crazy, but you're, you're talking, we should not be journaling to ourselves. We should not be journaling or, or talking to ourselves. We should not be talking out loud to ourselves, but we should be talking to God. When you're writing in your journal, you should say, Lord, I need your help. This is how I perceive myself to be. I don't know where I'm going or what's going on, but let me lay out for you what, what's happening, God. Let me lay out for you where my heart is, God. When you're lying in bed and, and the weight of the world seems to be on your shoulder, you, you talk with God. You interact with him. When you are walking around the park and there's something on your mind, you talk to God. You pray to God. But this is the God that, that Abraham is starting to get to know. That God wants Abraham intimately involved in the affairs of humanity and in the affairs of his life as well. What joy there is to know that the God who knows you more than anyone else wants you to be involved. That he wants you to know that his love for you is there. The greatest joy that many of you can give your parents, let's say your parents are good understanding people, is when you share your life with them and the process of what you're thinking. Your parent might know you well enough to say, that's probably not the best thing. <laughs> but their joy comes in the sharing of that intimacy with one another. So this is what the Lord gives you. And this is what the Lord is doing for Abraham. The second thing about God's intimacy with Abraham and about the way we interact with God himself. And this is important because one of the reasons why your prayers or your journals um, or the way you talk with God sort of starts to slide into just complaining and just talking about myself for the sake of myself 
We've all done that, right? You, you, you have that conversation with God and you realize that you're not really talking to God, you're just talking to yourself. Or even just in our daily interactions with people, you think you're having a conversation with someone, but that person's just talking to themselves. Or, you know, the, the, the funny skits you have where people are on the phone talking to the other person, they put the phone down, walk away for 20 minutes, come back, and, then, and you know, they're still talking on the other end of the phone, right? And, and there's, a, there's, a, there's a reason why afterwards when you see your prayers start to be me talk, you see your journals start to be me talk, and then afterwards what happens? It's, what is, it, it comes down to it then why pray at all? Right? If you're just going to be talking to yourself, why foolishly think that you're praying? Just don't pray. If you're, this journal is supposed to be a journal about your thoughts to the Lord, but it ceases to be about thoughts to the Lord, then why call it a journal to the Lord anymore? It, it sort of just fades away. But Abraham does something very unique here that allows him to understand that who he's talking to is God. And he's not talking to himself. That the way he, he constructs his prayers, the way he interacts with God, is a way that shows that he respects and knows God. And he's not simply trying to use him as a sounding board, but he sees them as the God of the universe that he worships. What's happening here? God has looked upon the, the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah, and he's contemplating a punishment to destroy the city. And the three visitors, one of them is, is an angel of the Lord, says, should we tell Abraham what the Lord is about to do, what he's thinking? And they say, yeah, let's, let's let Abraham know. And Abraham interacts with God, and we see this just this wonderful conversation back and forth. Lord, for the sake of 50 righteous, will you really destroy this place? God relents and says, no, if there's 50. How about 40? How about 30? How about 20? How about, how about 10? It gets them all the way down from 50 to 10. It's, you know, anyone who's in business, says, if you get down 50 to 10, you've, you, a, a fivefold, you've done a great job. But look how Abraham makes his argument. His argument is about the holiness of God, his holiness. This is God. You basically say, God, you are holy. And you are righteous. Would you really destroy these people? There are 10 righteous people. You are not a God who destroys righteous people. That's not who you are. That's your character, God. And because that's your character, I call you out, God, to be who you are. You would surely not destroy a remnant, even if those around them are guilty. That is not who you are, God. That is not what you do. And as you continue to proceed to, to go step by step, you, you see Abraham basically saying, who am I to speak, but let me speak. He knows that he's in the presence of his creator, of the one who has promised him the covenant. 
and the content of his prayers. The, the way he interacts with God is based on God's character and not on his wants and desires. And this allows Abraham's interaction with God to blossom. For us as well as God's people, as we want to continue to grow in our relationship with him, it's not about, first and foremost, just pouring out our hearts to him and wanting what we want. It's about going to God and calling out God's character and his promises to his people, to me, and asking him to answer those prayers according to his character and what he's promised to give me and not by my desires. And God answers those prayers. And your journals will be, will be filled your prayers will be filled. Your conversations with God will be filled with how God has accomplished those promises in your life. And you will go back to him again and again because you will see that this God knows you and loves you. But we've got to ask for the things that God has promised us. And if these things that God has promised us, if it's not precious to us, then we need to ask God, God makes these things precious to us. We pray to the Lord, Lord, let my heart understand that I am unholy and that I need to repent and know you. God will answer that question. He promised to answer that question. Do you want that? Lord, as I confess my sins, show me your forgiveness and show me your presence. God has promised to answer that question. Is that something that you desire to have? God, give me peace in knowing that whatever happens in this world you are orchestrating everything and that I can trust in you and walk in you. Help my heart to move towards that. God has promised to give you peace that's beyond understanding. Is that something that you desire? God, teach me to love the people around me and to share with them the good news that Jesus has come, that they too may know this love that I know. God has promised to go forth and to use you to share the gospel with people. He will give you those opportunities. Is that something that you want? God has promised many things. Many things. But it's like you go to the gap and you go, I go, and God says, you can have everything there. But for most of you, you go to the gap and you go, no, thank you. And you go somewhere else. God has given you a treasure store of all every spiritual blessing. And if we just say, God, give me this, God will give it to you. God will answer you. But if we turn to something else and say, God, I want this stuff, I can't guarantee you that God will give that to you. 
As your pastor, I can't promise you anything. I can't promise you that you'll become a lawyer or a doctor. I can't promise you that. I can't promise you that you'll live to 80. I can't promise you that. I can't promise that you'll have everything that you see your neighbors have. I can't promise you that. But I can promise you that the storeroom of God, that what he wants to give you, he will give you. And so in our journals, and in our interactions with God, the way that Abraham interacts with God, he calls upon God's character. He calls upon God's righteousness. And we too must do the same thing. That is how we grow in our relationship with the Lord. And how our prayers become fervent. My goodness. How our eyes become more open to the way that God interacts with the world. The way that we see that we do not belong here, but we belong to the kingdom of Jesus. Is by securely holding our hands to his promises and the love that he's bestowed upon us. God's love for you is immense. Now, there, there's, a, there's a, a, a funny ending, not a funny ending, but there's an unexpected ending to this. We would love to have think that, that Abraham came out there victorious. All right, got, got him down from 50 to 10. Surely there are 10 righteous people in Sodom and Gomorrah. If we read the rest of the story, what happens? There isn't 10. God gave Abraham time to get Lot and that family out, his nephew and his family out. But in the end, God destroyed that city. Now, if you were Abraham, what would your reaction be? I should ask for just one, one person. Just Lot and his family? Should I, ask for, I should ask for five? Would your reaction be, would your reaction be, oh my God, all that prayer for what? All the time wrestling with you for what? It, it, it came to nothing. It, it got destroyed. Why'd you, why do we have this conversation? If he was, if Abraham was an economist, he would have seen that time, see that as a waste of time, perhaps. But there's two things to learn from here. One is that no matter how much we interact with God and how God answers, it's never a waste of time. We're learning something more and different about God, even if we don't understand it right now. That's why you journal to God. That's why you write your stories. You will see how God has used your circumstances. You will see how God has, will actually answer your prayers according to his knowledge and his wisdom and not your fleeting desires. You'll see that God, who's a good, all-knowing God, gives you according to what he knows is best for you and not what you think you know is best for you today because that will change tomorrow and the next day and the next day. We don't know how Abraham reacted to this. 
but surely he was confused. What was happening? What's, what's the answer to all this? Why, why did I go through this conversation? Why is it here in Scripture? And the answer is very simple. For 50 people, Lord, if there are 50 righteous people in this world, would you save this entire earth? 50. 50. Okay, Lord, if there were 40 righteous people in this entire earth, in all of history, would you, would you save, save the people? How about 30? How about 20? How about 10? And God's answer is yes. But then the, answer, but then the question gets down even to this. Lord, if there is one righteous person, just one, will you bring salvation to this world? Just one. Abraham at the right, Abraham in heaven with God. He saw the answer to his question. There was only one righteous person who brought salvation to this world. When Jesus came, fully man, fully God, and walked this earth. God's promise was simply this. If my son Jesus, this new Adam, this new man, if he's found to be righteous, I will save all of those who believe in him. And Jesus, being the God-man that he is, lived that perfect, righteous life without sin, tempted every way that you and I have been tempted, yet without sin, perfect in every way. And when he died on that cross, God received that righteousness and perfection and credited it to Jesus in a sense and said, Jesus, bestow your righteousness on those who believe in you, who come to know you. And they too, because of what you've done, will be saved from judgment. The story of Sodom and Gomorrah is not the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. It's the story of the world. The story of finding that righteous person is not the story of Abraham and Lot. It's the story of Jesus. The story is the story of God's holiness and righteousness, but a way out if we could find one person 
And the story is that of mercy because we know that God had to send his own son to accomplish what we as human beings could not accomplish. And it's through Christ and Christ alone and what he has done that gives us life. Brothers and sisters, Jesus has drawn him, is drawing him, drawing you to him. Rejoice in knowing that you don't need to be perfect. You just need to exercise the faith that God has given you and trust in him. When you go to the Lord in prayer, you don't go in perfection. You don't. You never do. Even if you fast for 40 days and 40 nights and then you go to God in prayer, your heart is not pure. Let me just say that. You go to the Lord by faith and faith alone. There's only one person righteous. There's, none, there's never been anyone righteous but Jesus alone. And there will continue to be never one, anyone righteous but Jesus alone. I was talking to um, one, of our, one, of the, one of the people from our church. And we're talking about just how difficult the circumstances are right now. And they were saying that they were zombie praying a lot. And I said, praise God. Zombie prayer is better than no prayer. And in fact, there are times when zombie prayer is more faithful to God than prayer that is erudite, well-written, well-scripted, done with a fully relaxed heart and relaxed mind. But if it's done for yourself, and not done by faith. What good is it? But for you, if there are times when you, you need to zombie prayer and to walk with the Lord that way, do that. It's okay if you're at night and go, Lord, my head is spinning and I'm talking with you. I haven't read scripture in a while. I haven't done a lot of things in a while, but I'm coming to you because I need your help. Help my heart to grow for you. Help my heart to find peace. Draw near to the Lord, for in Christ Jesus, he has drawn near to you. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy in all things. There surely is no one like you, and we worship you in spirit and in truth. Lord, we ask of you, Lord, to bless this church, Lord God, for all of us. Lord, we confess to you, Lord, that we get lost in our own thoughts. Uh, COVID hasn't helped. Uh, this world that tells us that we need to find our identity in ourselves doesn't help either, Lord God. We reflect and we read about other people reflecting about themselves. And Lord God, we, we fall into that trap. You tell us, Lord, that for us to know ourselves, we, know, we need to know ourselves in relationship with you. For that is true knowledge of self. And so, Lord, teach us to do that. Teach us to know that you are not a God that is far off, Lord God, just watching us fend for ourselves and occasionally interjecting. But you are a God who is intimately close to us, that you hear our cries, you hear our prayers, and that you answer them. 
according to your grace, according to your mercies, according to every spiritual treasure that is waiting for us, Lord God, for the asking. So we ask, mature us in the faith. Teach us to love you and to love one another. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.